Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel, you're gonna find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is gonna be on there. You're gonna find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts, all that you can follow along with. And the best part is that it's completely free. They're also around 10 to 20 minutes long, meaning if you're short of time, you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout. New workouts will go live on the channel every Tuesday and Thursday and they're gonna be accompanied by an amazing backdrop, which I'm sure you're all gonna enjoy. So if you wanna find the channel, just search Elliot Hassoon into YouTube and you'll find it very easily. And please subscribe. It makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Hello team and welcome to episode 279 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jeff Ash. Jeff is a nutritionist and an intuitive eating coach who predominantly helps men incorporate the principles of intuitive eating and break away from their unhealthy relationships with food and exercise. This conversation with Jeff is a really comprehensive look into what intuitive eating is. So if the concept has piqued your interest in the past, this one is definitely for you. In this episode, you can expect to learn what the 10 key principles of intuitive eating are, why you probably shouldn't intuitively eat if you're in an intentional fat loss phase, along with how you can set your children up for success to avoid challenges with food and exercise in later life. So without further ado, Jeff Ash. Jeff Ash, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me. My pleasure is mine. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. And just for anyone who has not come across you or the work that you do, can you give us a little bit of context about who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I am uh, a nutritionist and personal trainer and uh, intuitive eating coach. That's where I focus my attention. And I mainly provide content online. And then I also work with people in a one-to-one coaching relationship as well. Currently working on a group program for men, which may come up in conversation later as well. And so I'm looking forward to that. But uh, that's kind of where what I do in in the nutrition and fitness space. And uh, and in particular, I focus on weight neutral, which we'll talk about more here too, and intuitive eating as the approach that I use with all of my clients. And so I do work with men and women and also kids and teenagers. But uh, lately, I've been really focusing my attention most toward men, toward getting them exposed to and uh, understanding what a weight neutral approach and what intuitive eating is actually all about so that they have a proper understanding of it. It's a very different perspective to approach our health and our fitness and and nutrition. Amazing. Yeah. I think as we've discussed earlier, it's a bit of an underserved population. So I'm looking forward to going into your reasons why specifically men. But before I do, where did the journey with health, fitness, and nutrition all begin for you? I've always been really active. So I played baseball growing up. I got into competitive rock climbing in high school in my early 20s, um, did competitive karate in my 30s. You know, I do ninja training now. Well, after my once my shoulder rehab is finished, I'm, I'm almost done. <laughs> so I had shoulder surgery this past March. But so I've always been really active and interested in athletics and that kind of thing. 
And then uh, I just got real interested in the specifically in the nutrition aspect and more structured formal training a number of years back and kind of got my start as I think a lot of us guys do, well, a lot of women too, but with bodybuilding.com transformation challenge, you know, 12 week thing where it's basically a starvation contest. (laughs) So you can keep lifting while they're starving themselves and see you can get as ripped and lean as they want. And uh, so I did that and that kind of really got me really interested in it. And, uh, but then from there, I started to actually learn a lot more about it, not just from other uh, lay people, just sort of sharing their anecdotal stories and really got into evidence-based nutrition. I went through Mac Nutrition Uni and got my certification there. I'm not sure if you're familiar with, yeah. with that, but uh, went through that and met a lot of really good people, of course, working with Martin and his team there, uh, learning from really the best in the industry when it comes to evidence-based nutrition. And so that really fired me up. And then since then, I've been working in this space. Yeah, it's an incredible journey. And I'm intrigued because you've now landed on intuitive eating and you've landed on mainly serving men. You're not exclusively men. You certainly serve women as well. But those are your two go-to areas. So why intuitive eating and why men in particular? Well, the, the main reason for the emphasis on men is that I think it's really helpful for them as well and just as important as it is for women. And it's a very underserved group. Most of the voices you hear talking about intuitive eating and weight-neutral approaches are women, which is understandable because they're the ones that typically have been most hurt by dieting in any cases, at least most explicitly. I think men have also been hurt by it, but they don't talk about it as much, but women do talk about it a lot. And so they're more inclined to go ahead and continue talking about it and, and interact. So you tend to see it more of those conversations uh, among women and aimed by women aimed toward women. But the way I got uh, kind of made the switch, cause I don't, I don't use any intentional fat loss uh, coaching anymore. So the way that I got, uh, I got into intuitive eating was I was really interested my whole time Uh, in my nutrition qualification, I was really interested in working with entire families because I've done a lot of things with families in the past. And I I really saw the value in, hey, not just working with one individual, but what if I could work with mom and dad and the kids all together as kind of a whole unit, get them all on board with a similar approach so that they can support each other in the process. Because, you know, for one, you can't just work with a kid unless the parents are on board because a kid doesn't have much to do. Even a teenager doesn't have much control over the food environment, the relationship with food, the attitudes at home. Likewise, if you have one person in a relationship who is on board with one way of doing things and the other's completely opposite, then it makes it really difficult for either of them to really be successful in what they're trying to do. So that's kind of where I got interested in well, this whole family thing. I, I thought, well, I need to learn more about working with kids as well. If I'm going to be working with the families. So I started uh, some training and interacting with people specifically in the child and teen nutrition, Ellen Satter uh, specifically. So if anybody's interested, they can look her up, S-A-T-T-E-R. And in her work, her focus with child nutrition is around this weight neutral approach. And she uses something called the division of responsibility and feeding. And, uh, and we can talk about that later if it comes up, but but basically in the process of learning how to interact with kids and take this approach and also hearing other fitness professionals talk about working with kids and teens and how you don't want to put them on a diet 
You know, I think you probably would agree with that. I think most fitness professionals are like, no, no, don't put kids on diets. Don't be putting teenagers on diets. But then it really started to resonate. Not only did what I was learning there resonate with me, but then I started thinking, well, why is it that at 18, it's suddenly cool to go ahead and put somebody on a restrictive diet? It's like when they're 16, 17, no, no, you might cause harm. When they're 18, okay, now we can start dieting them hardcore. And and that was kind of a light bulb moment for me. So that's how I got really into the weight neutral space. So I got exposed to it there then started learning about her methods, which are similar to intuitive eating, but a little bit different. And then I got exposed more to the principles of intuitive eating. And that's where I really fell in love with this weight neutral approach and said, you know, this is a good fit for me as a person and a coach. It's evidence-based, which we can touch on also. It's not just a woo-woo kind of a thing. It, it really is. It's supported by over 170 studies, which I don't think a lot of people understand either. And so that's that's kind of how I got into it. And now that's that's my coaching practice uh, entirely. Yeah, it sounds like you've landed in a really, really strong position. And I want to go through the principles of intuitive eating in just a moment. And I feel that my audience would have heard the words intuitive eating. They will have a good understanding of what that might be. But weight neutral is quite a new word in the vocabulary of the Simply Fit podcast. I don't think we've discussed that too much here. So can you give us a definition on weight neutral? Yeah, weight neutral means that we don't focus on body weight as a marker of health necessarily. I mean, it may be one marker of health. But I think what happens is that a lot of us tend to, and this is very common in the fitness industry, is that weight is the determining factor of health status. So as you you see someone who is lean and muscular, female or male, and you immediately, your first thought is, oh, they're healthy. And then you see someone in a larger body, oh, they're unhealthy. And so what a weight neutral approach is, is we say, you know, what, regardless of the size and shape of this person's body, we're going to approach them in the same way. We're going to say, well, what is it about your life that, that we could change that might help improve your, your health and your fitness? And, and this isn't just with nutrition and exercise. This it also crosses over into standard medicine, medical practices too, as well. So a weight neutral approach to medical care is that a person comes in with knee pain and it's really common for a larger person to be dismissed as well. It's because you're so big. That's why your knees hurt. When in fact, there might actually be something wrong with their knees that could be addressed and fixed through physical therapy or surgery. But the, a thin person coming in with the same complaint, that will be immediately, they'll think, oh, well, something's wrong with the knee. That's kind of a, a summary of kind of what the difference is between weight neutral care and this kind of weight centered care. I would like to just bulletproof the weight neutral term by using the example of the knee. It's probably fair to say if someone potentially was lighter, they would be placing a little less demand on their knees, especially if they're jumping, they're running, or they're trying to do some physical form of exercise. So is it completely the right way to go about it if we just dismiss the case fully? Or is it worth factoring in that maybe the weight isn't the primary reason or even a secondary reason, but it could definitely help if someone was a little bit lighter? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. Weight neutral doesn't mean, and I think this is where a misunderstanding comes with weight neutral and like health at every size, is that some extreme people who don't understand it might say, oh, it has no impact whatsoever. And just it's not even a factor. But most of us say, hey, it, it may be a factor. You know, weight may be a contributing factor to your knee pain. 
but immediately jumping on, okay, well, your knees hurt, you're bigger, so therefore it's your weight. Um, that's where the problem comes in. Is so uh, oftentimes we'll come in and somebody has uh, you know, diabetes, and immediately what the thought is is that oh, it's because you're bigger, when in fact thin people get diabetes also, and so it's it's really more approaching it. What would you do to treat a thin person with the same medical condition, the same issue with their relationship with food? So instead of sort of stigmatizing based on their size, it's approaching everybody from a little bit more of a level playing field. So again, it's not that the weight doesn't have any impact because I do believe that the research supports the idea that body weight, body fat levels in and of themselves can be detrimental to your health. They can contribute to visceral fat accumulation and blood sugar dysregulation and those kinds of things, but it doesn't always, it's not always that. So we shouldn't immediately jump on the weight when there could actually be something else that's wrong causing these issues that could be addressed apart from the weight. And so, um, so that's kind of what a, a weight neutral approach encompasses. 100%. Yeah, it's perfectly balanced, right? In any other direction, like any fire in either direction, yeah, it's essentially going to land in prejudice and stigmatizing, as you said. Or, yeah, it's just going to be essentially not the right thing to look at. Like just disregarding the way entirely is going to be something that just, again, it just disregards a, a potential implication to that situation that definitely does exist. But like you said, it's just about coming from having the healthy understanding of potentially what someone's size is, but not being like, this is the indicative reason why this is the way it is. So yeah, I think it's a real perfect approach to take. And with that being said, can we go through the 10 principles of intuitive eating? Yeah, definitely. So this is where a lot of people, I think, get intuitive eating wrong as far as their understanding of it. So you hear a lot of people will sort of dismiss it as I'm in the mess I'm in because I've been eating intuitively. And that's kind of a misunderstanding of what intuitive eating, and I, I often will use capital I, capital E, as a way of saying specifically this framework called intuitive eating that was developed by Elise Resch and Evelyn Triboli back in 1995. They are two registered dietitians who, who developed these, these 10 principles. So when I'm talking about intuitive eating, when you hear it talked about by people who are in that space, that's what they're referring to. So it's important that we're using, uh, applying the same meaning to the term because intuitive eating is very different than just eating what you want whenever you want it, which some people I think have uh, that wrong idea. So um, basically intuitive eating is a, it's a self-care eating framework and it integrates emotion, instinct, and rational thought. So it's not just all about the feels. And it's evidence-based. So it is, as I said, it's supported by, I think, over 170 studies now is where we're at. And it really focuses on something called interoceptive awareness, which is basically tuning into the sensations inside the body and recognizing those things, recognizing the needs of the body. And the 10 principles kind of built on top of that, that foundation. So the first principle is reject the diet mentality, which is basically coming to grips with the fact that the typical diet mentality that we have from the fitness and nutrition space is problematic. And this is why people are constantly on and off diets, yo-yoing, why the success rate really of dieting long-term anyway, I mean, diets work in the short term. We see it all the time. And I mean, just about anybody who starts a diet and kind of sticks to it, they end up getting some kind of results from it. But long-term, it's like 
how well are they maintaining it? Is it really helpful if every six months you're starting a new diet to get the weight off that you put back on after the last one, or even every year? A lot of the research shows that weight loss, intentional weight loss after five years is really, really uncommon. And so most people tend to regain that. Two-thirds of people that regain it also gain more than what they lost. And I think that we've all seen that, you know, especially as coaches and stuff. So the reason that this is kind of the first principle is that it sort of sets the, the groundwork and makes it possible to really dig deeper on the other principles. Because if you're hung up on this idea of trying to lose weight, then you're going at it from a place of restriction because we know a calorie deficit is how you lose weight. And if you're always thinking, okay, I've got to be in a calorie deficit, I've got to eat less than what I'm burning, then it really interferes with the process of becoming an intuitive eater. So the second principle is honor your hunger. And honoring your hunger, that makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, make sure that if, if your body is telling you it needs food, that you give it food because that's the energy that helps it to function best. But you can also see how if you're still in the dieting mentality, you know, we all have these little tricks from dieting. It's like, oh, well, eat uh, low calorie, really high filling foods or drink water or, or drink diet soda because of the carbonation. It'll take away the hunger pains. So instead of trying to trick your body into thinking it's not hungry or to make the hunger signals go away, you actually honor those hunger signals by feeding your body. And so that's kind of a good starting point for it. And then, of course, one of the other principles then is feeling your fullness. And so that's the other one. It's like part of being a healthy individual is eating enough and also making sure that we don't eat too much. And at least habitually, there's nothing wrong with having, you know, having a big meal and being overstuffed at the end. But it's like if you're doing that every time, it's a problem. So as you can see, it's very practical. Honor your hunger, recognize that, feel your fullness. But again, the diet mentality teaches us to stop at 80% full or chew gum, you know, all these different little tricks. So one of the other big ones is making peace with food. And this is where you hear the term unconditional permission to eat. And this is a big one that's really scary for a lot of people. And also one of the reasons that a lot of people dismiss intuitive eating altogether. It's based on a principle called habituation. And there's a lot of research in the area of habituation and basically getting accustomed to certain things, making it normal so that it loses its appeal. Not so much completely, but it's no longer this thing that consumes you or elicits this extreme excitement every time it's in your presence. So, you know, if you have a kid who's restricted from sugar, for example, you'll see that when they're at a birthday party, instead of playing with the other kids, they're hovering around the cake and all the treats and, and stuff because they never get to have it at home. And so this unconditional permission to eat is basically giving yourself permission to eat anything that you want at any time in any quantity. Also, again, that can sound very counterintuitive. It can almost sound ridiculous to some people, but one of the things that, you know, a lot of people will say with that is, well, if I do that, then all I'm going to do is eat sugar and candy and junk food all the time. Well, would you really? I mean, how do you feel when you eat a lot of that stuff? Do you feel very good? How does it make your appetite feel? And when you start to really reflect on it, it's like, yeah, I don't want candy all the time. And especially once you start eating it, you realize, oh, you know, I can have this anytime I want it. I don't need to eat an entire 
box of Oreos. I can eat a few of them because I've given myself permission to have them multiple times during the day if I want or multiple times during the week, not just on a, you know, quote, cheat day, that kind of thing. And so it starts to lose its mystique. Yeah. And the appeal of it, it's just kind of like, it starts to become just another food that when you're in the mood for it, you eat it. And when you're not, you eat what you are in the mood for. And it's really interesting to see how that actually works when people really do start to, again, reject that diet mentality, start to dig into their hunger and fullness. And then there's also another principle is discovering the satisfaction factor. So this is another one where you're really reflecting on and recognizing uh, whether foods are making you satisfied or not. So the satisfaction factor is a really important part of eating because if we're not satisfied, just like in a relationship, when you're not satisfied in your relationship, then you're more likely to step out, start looking at porn, start flirting, start you know hitting up your old ex-girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever online and these kinds of things. And so you start to go out trying to find that satisfaction that you're lacking. The same thing happens with food. If you're always eating foods that are less than and not satisfying, then it makes it easier than to go into these episodes where you just go off the rails when you do have something that does satisfy that particular taste or craving. And so that's another important part. But as you can see, as these different principles, honoring your hunger, feeling your fullness, satisfaction, making peace with food, it's not just all about eat what you want whenever you want. I mean, that's sort of how it is, but it's like, well, no, I'm, I'm honoring my hunger. When I'm full, I'm respecting myself to say, okay, I'm full. I can eat again whenever I need to, but I'm good for now. And so they kind of build on each other and, and it really sets up a nice foundation there. Um, and then also uh, one of the other principles is honoring your feelings without using food. This is another one where it's fine to eat for emotional reasons at times, but if that's your go-to, if eating is your go-to way of dealing with emotions, then that can become a problem. And so what we do, and this is something I work on a lot with clients in sessions, is what need are you trying to meet by going to the food? And wouldn't it be better if we could meet that need with the thing that's actually going to meet the need rather than trying to numb it or pacify it with food or alcohol or drugs or you know, the same kind of a thing? And so as people start to reflect on it and realize, okay, my feelings of addiction toward food my feelings of being out of control with food, labeling themselves as an emotional eater or a stress eater, oftentimes it comes back to the fact that they're not taking care of themselves in this other area. They're not seeking out and trying to satisfy those different needs that they have with the thing that's actually going to meet that need. And so on top of those other principles starts to help build this really strong foundation where you start to shift your entire relationship with food, the way you think about food, the way you think about uh, how you interact with it, uh, your ability to control yourself around food and all of those kinds of things. Another one is respecting your body. That makes sense. Respect your body. All of these other things, that's why you're doing this is out of respect for your body, not to punish it, which a lot of people in that diet mentality feel the sort of need to punish themselves in, you know, beat their body into submission. And a lot of the things that they do are out of guilt and shame, either the restriction, uh, you know, when you have a binge eating episode, for example, you feel shame 
oh, I can't believe I did that. So what do you do? You restrict further and then you feel better about yourself and, oh, I'm disciplined. I'm, I got myself back on track. Then there's a trigger of some kind, whether it's a party or an emotional event and you binge again, and then now you feel horrible about yourself. And so you restrict again. And so it's this binge restrict cycle where restriction is really the key factor that is triggering that binging. And then challenging the food police is one of the other principles. I kind of jumped around a little over these 10 principles. Challenging the food police is tossing out those food rules that we have. No carbs after two, don't eat before noon, can't have a meal without protein. You know, all these different rules that we have in there that often interfere with our relationship with food and in in uh, recognizing these things. So that's another important important principle. And then one of the other ones is, is related to exercise and a lot of intuitive eating. And in the latest book, the latest version of the book, they refer to it as movement. So they start to talk about exercise as movement instead of focusing on structured exercise so much because, you know, some people aren't into formal exercise and that's okay. And some people have a really horrible relationship with exercise because of they've used it most of their life as a way of controlling their weight or as a way of just you know trying to slim down and they only use it in the context of dieting. They don't really enjoy it, but they just do it because they know it burns calories. And I'm sure you've seen that a lot. And so what they do is they, they've shifted this focus more on movement, move your body in ways that feel good to you. And there's there's actually some recent research that uh, study that was called exercise combats hepatic stetosis, which is liver fat accumulation, and then some potential mechanisms. What they found was that physical activity, exercise, anaerobic capacity have effects on regulating your liver fat accumulation. And what they found out that was really cool was that this was all apart from changes in BMI. So again, you know, now you've got, you've got a behavior that you can actually help people to work on, you know, moving their body more. That's actually a behavior where weight loss isn't a behavior. Your, your body weight can reflect certain behaviors in your life, but it's not in and of itself a behavior, but exercise, moving your body in a way that makes you feel good is something that you can do yourself. And then the last one is honor your health with gentle nutrition. And this is intentionally the 10th principle. And it's because you work on these other things, these mindset shifts, these attitudes about your body and the food you eat, and you work on those. And then you can start to apply the principles of gentle nutrition. Am I getting enough protein to support my recovery from the kind of activity I'm in? Obviously, if you're doing four or five or six days a week of resistance training, you're probably going to need more protein than somebody who takes their dog out for a walk a couple times a day. You know, not to say one's better than the other, but you know, this is where you can start to apply that or, oh, I need to eat more fiber. How can I incorporate that into my day without, again, without rules, restrictions, beating myself up over it, but it's more what other nutrition principles can I bring into the equation? And then, and that's going to look different for each person, you know, whether you are a less active person, maybe an athlete, you know, I, I mentioned that I do a lot of athletic things and ninja training. So I am a little more conscious of my protein intake. Whereas, you know, someone else, my mom who basically quilts and she's active, she goes around, but she doesn't need to worry about it to the extent that I do. So that kind of thing. Mm. And I'm hearing people screaming out at us now saying, Jeff, I only wanted to lose a little bit of weight. I only wanted to fit in that dress or those swim shorts. 
And now I have to assess the reasons why I'm eating this food and using it as a coping mechanism. And I have to honor all these 10 principles. It sounds complicated and it sounds like I need a lot of patience. What are you going to say to those type of people who are thinking those things? Well, the, the main thing is, is that we don't do all these principles at once. So we did like a 10 minute flash through these principles without a lot of detail. And yeah, I never go over all of the principles at one time with my, my clients. Now I'll often send them a list of them. So they kind of have a little bit of an outline of what's coming, but then we'll just start with an individual. So for a person who is struggling with uh, exercise as being something that was obsessive and a big problem for them, but maybe they don't have a lot of food rules. Well, we can start with exercise and just start rethinking how it is that we're viewing it. Start to think of it more in terms of joyful movement and movements that, that are enjoyable, that bring you satisfaction, that kind of thing. Um, another person who is very sedentary and maybe has never exercised with them, the movement part, we may just say, hey, let's try and get up and move around to more. What are some things that you can think of that might be a good way to do that? But with them, we may focus on hunger. And that, that's actually a, one of the most common places that I start with people is with hunger. They don't feel confident in being able to recognize it. And dieting has a way of doing that to us to where we, we're just so accustomed to ignoring hunger or trying to suppress it that when you say, honor your hunger. They're like, I don't, I don't know. I eat, I know when I'm not hungry and I know when I'm about to eat my own arm off, but I don't know anything in between. And so we have some things like a hunger and fullness scale that you can use to start to recognize those things. So, yeah, so it's not a, it's not complicated, but it does take some work because you don't have somebody telling you what to do, when to do it, what to eat, what not to eat. And it really is a more of a journey of exploration. And as a coach, that's what I do with them as we talk and we figure out, hey, what's a good thing to work on this week? I had a client last week. We're working on potato chips. That's it. Um, didn't feel like he could control himself around potato chips. And so we worked on on that. And then he sort of discovered, oh, actually, it's because I wasn't eating them. So every time that I did bring them in, I just would eat the entire bag and then I wouldn't eat them again for a month. So, you know, we started integrating that more into his day-to-day -day life. And he just sort of very quickly started to realize, hey, if I eat these regularly, I don't feel the need to eat an entire bag in one sitting. But yeah, we, we never throw them all in there. And uh, yeah, we build on it. It's always a, a building process. Yeah. So essentially, it's about finding the one that's going to essentially have the biggest impact, probably the one that's the most pressing or potentially even the lowest hanging fruit, right? If your long-term goal is to implement all of these principles, it might be like, well, I don't really have that unhealthy of a relationship with exercise. Maybe movement is the place to start, or I don't have that many food rules. So maybe I can just see if I can explore this option and just tick that box. Because I essentially think that once those are in place, I guess you put habits and routines and maybe not rules per se or structure behind it, but you have certain habits and behaviors, I, I guess is probably a good word, that help keep those in place as well. Yeah, definitely. And and each person, you know, like you were saying, is is very different. I have one client in particular that I can think of. He he's never dieted. So he doesn't have that baggage. Um, doesn't feel like he can he controls his snacking very well, but it's not anything that he feels any guilt or shame over. He's just kind of like, yeah, I'd kind of like to not just randomly eat stuff all the time. I'd kind of like to 
get a little more structure into my eating. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're going to approach that very different than the person who comes to me and says, I am so fed up with dieting. I've been doing it for 40 years and I'm exhausted and I'm bigger than I've ever been. And, you know, that kind of a thing. And so, uh, again, we, we just approach it very different for each person. And it, because it's not, there aren't any rules or a right or wrong way to do it. It's incorporating these different principles into your life, looking for the low hanging fruit. That's one of my big things. And I'm always promoting that is low hanging fruit. And there's so much value in, in finding those, those things. Yeah, I agree. And the one thing I want to ask due to the fact that I know a lot of people will be thinking this as well is that we do live in a Amazon prime generation as many call it. And we live in a world where we love metrics. We love to see the scale go down. We love to see things arrive very quickly. So how do you encourage patients in the people that you work with to essentially allow these things to have the results that they need to have, but probably at a more slow and steady rate, right? We both know objectively that, you know, just like your bodybuilding.com days, if you put yourself on a bit of a starvation diet, you're going to see the results that you want to within the matter of days. But when it comes to solving your relationship with food, that's a thing that takes a very, very long time. And I can imagine those people who are at their wits end with dieting, they've, you know, had enough ups and downs and quote unquote failures that they're ready to take that on board. They're like, I just, I need something to stick now. And I, I maybe these approaches that I've been using in the past aren't quite for me, but there's going to be a lot of people who are still in the, I want results. My wedding's coming up. My birthday's coming up. My 40th is coming up. So how do you encourage patients for those type of people who have those short-term pressing goals as well? To be honest, that's probably one of the hardest things in my coaching, because as I pointed out, I, I use intuitive eating and a weight neutral approach exclusively. Not that I don't bring in other principles into that mix, but the weight neutral part is something that, that I've decided that I'm not going to coach intentional fat loss. And so that's also one of the things that's important to understand with the intuitive eating principles, this, this framework, it's not a weight loss approach. So some of those principles may make a bit more sense now. It's like, oh, okay. So I'm not intentionally trying to get into a calorie deficit okay, that makes more sense now about honoring my hunger, eating for satisfaction, those kinds of things. So that's where a lot of the misunderstandings of intuitive eating comes in is people thinking, well, you can't lose weight on this. That's not what it's for. It's for improving your relationship with food. And that is a hard thing to sell people because even if they're tired of dieting and even if they know they're going to regain it and possibly even gain more, I've had people acknowledge that. I know I'm going to regain it. I may even gain more but I really want to be the size at this event or this wedding or for this beach, you know, this beach vacation or whatever. And it's really unfortunate that our culture and our society has made us so fearful of being in a little bit bigger body or even a much bigger body that we would go to those extremes. But basically with this approach, it helps you to get into the body that's right for you. And Ellen Satter, who I mentioned earlier with the child nutrition, she has an approach called eating competence. And she incorporates a, a bit more structure into hers, which I actually kind of bring over into intuitive eating too. I like the idea of structured meal times and snack times and having that consistency where intuitive eating proper, that's not really part of the framework, but I like to incorporate that. I find that clients really benefit from including those that structure in there can help them regulate their appetite over the course of the day. But one of the things that Ellen Satter talks about that I like in, in her weight neutral approach is that often the issues that we have with our body weight, well, there, there is certainly a genetic factor. 
you know, we're, we're genetically predisposed to be different sizes and shapes and different distributions of fat and muscle. And that's an important thing that we have to acknowledge is that I can't look like you. You can't look like me, no matter what you do. We could train exactly the same and we're going to look different. But at the same time, there are disruptions in life that can occur that cause our body weight to fluctuate up and down. So we may have a disruption that has occurred and that's why we gained X number of pounds over the course of the last two years. Well, through this process of intuitive eating, we often identify those disruptions and then we can address the disruption. And with the idea that once we get the disruption dealt with, we get the relationship with food dealt with, then our body is going to shift to wherever it's going to be most comfortable. Uh, you may be familiar with set weight theory and settling point theory, this, this range that our bodies tend to just sort of hang out in naturally if we don't have disruptions where either super emotional times where we're kind of mindlessly eating a lot or less and we end up losing a lot of weight, maybe a death in the family and we just aren't eating like we should. So identifying these disruptions can be really helpful. So we're basically, we're approaching it from the perspective of let's see what we can do about all of these things that are amiss in your relationship with food and in your health, but without focusing on weight loss as that measure of success. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, if we don't lose weight, but we get all these other things in order, then at least we're going to be feeling better. Our health will be better. And if we tried to get down lower and we're going to bounce back up anyway, is that going to be beneficial to us mentally and physically? Yeah, the reality is that most of the time, if you do follow those key principles, you do end up dropping a little bit of body weight, right? I've never seen someone who has potentially their sleep in a fantastic place, has been able to get in tune with their hunger signals, has a healthy understanding of what you know a well-proportioned meal looks like, be super overweight per se. So it is fair to say that most people are going to be in a healthy range. I think it's just when we want to go into potentially, I like the set point idea. I also don't like the set point idea. I like it from the sense that I think there is that healthy acceptance that most of us do function at a slightly higher body weight than we would like to, but I also don't like it because it's almost a limiting belief for some people because they think their set point is actually higher than it potentially is. So it's one of those things where I think it's quite challenging to get that idea of, okay, where am I truly supposed to sit? Because most people haven't got those things in place. So I'm wondering that once you do potentially get all those principles in place, you've started to get equilibrium, let's use the word, um, across the board with your nutrition. Is there any room for intentional fat loss if you are curious about, I don't know, maybe being a little bit more leaner for the sport that you're in, or maybe you just want to be a little bit leaner? Do you ever encourage, maybe not encourage, but do you ever support people on their fat loss journeys if they've got a healthy relationship with food and exercise? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's it's a hard one. To be honest, it's a really hard one for me because I do, as I mentioned, ninja obstacle course training. The lighter I am, the easier it is. And and especially at being 50 years old now, I, I don't have the strength of the teenagers or the 20-year-olds. And so it's very tempting to think, well, you know, if I just restrict myself, push myself down to this weight and get really meticulous with my dieting, I could probably hold myself down there, but it's going to impact my relationship with food. And for me, from the coaching standpoint, and this is why from my coaching perspective, I've chosen not to support people on intentional fat loss. It's not that if somebody is trying to do that, 
that I won't coach them through intuitive eating because I certainly will. I have a client right now who I'm working with with his training and he's um, going to one of those weight loss clinics where they give him the shots and all the, you know, they pull out all the stops and do the extreme stuff. And I'm like, intuitive eating isn't going to work in that context for him because he's just not going to be able to incorporate those principles. But I'm still supporting him on his journey because, I mean, that's what he's chosen to do. And that's not for me to decide whether that's right or wrong for him. If that works for him, I'm going to support him where I can. But if somebody comes to me and wants me to recommend calorie deficit targets or how better to get into a calorie deficit, then that would interfere with what I'm trying to do with the intuitive eating aspect. And so for consistency purposes, I've chosen not to do that. I'll be honest, I do struggle with it myself because like I said about the ninja stuff, I would like to be a little smaller than I am right now, especially since I'm coming off of an injury. And so, you know, I have put on probably a few pounds. I don't, I don't really weigh myself much. So I'm, I'm sure I have a little bit, and I'm, but I'm sure once I start back into that, I don't know, I may drop some more or not. I don't know. But in any case, yeah, that's kind of the reason that I don't do that. But if somebody is actively trying to do that, I would definitely support them in as many ways as I can. And I've had people do that where they are tracking their calories still. And, you know, usually what happens is they're like, yeah, this hunger thing is really hard or fullness because uh, my app told me I'm not supposed to eat anymore, but I'm hungry. And I said, well, what do you think you should do? You want to follow the app or do you want to honor your, your hunger? And then we'll often explore that too and say, well, were you more active today than you were? And then suddenly, oh yeah, I forgot. I went hiking and I lifted weights in the morning too. So I did yeah, well, of course, no wonder I'm hungry. So maybe I don't need to listen to the app. So a lot of times it can be kind of a stepwise approach to in shifting their mindset. So I've had people where it takes them a, a while to get away from tracking. You know, they're still tracking for a bit and then they get away from it gradually as they start to incorporate the principles. They make more sense and they're like, yeah, this is really interfering with that. So, yeah, it's a really curious and interesting <laughs> one because I feel very much the same in the sense that. I want to tell people that they can, you know, theoretically have their cake and eat it in the sense that like for myself personally, I haven't always had the healthiest relationship with food or movement as a matter of fact, but I'd say that in this place that I am right now, I have an incredibly healthy relationship with both of those. And I'm also able to dip in and out of fat loss phases and without any damage long-term done to where I am, but it has taken me a while to get here. So I think it may be just a case of just making sure that those principles aren't just adopted for maybe a, a couple of months or so. And it, it's a challenge because I'm a health and fitness professional, just like yourself. So there's rationale to say, I should understand these things. And I, I do get a good understanding. I also know that, you know, if an emotional challenge does come along, my principles will return because they're so ingrained within me, but I can't trust that someone who has a family of four and a, they're a lawyer, for example, is going to, you know, come back to training and nutrition the way I will, because it's kind of been my life for so long. So yeah, it's, it's one of those careful balances, which, yeah, I think it's, <laughs> it's almost like you want to say yes, but you're also like, it puts a lot of trust in that individual, which it's not that they can't handle it, but it's quite a tough job to do both. If you see what I mean. Yeah, well, I mean, that's really what the intuitive eating framework is about reestablishing trust with your body. So, and, and everybody's coming at it from a whole different perspective. Like I was raised in the home with my parents are the best possible parents that you could ever imagine. I mean, they weren't perfect, but they're as close, I think, to perfect as you will find on earth. And so, yeah, I never had pressure to eat certain foods, you know, I had the one bite kind of rule for a new thing, which I don't recommend for parents, but that was like the worst pressure that my mom had was like, if you don't like it, 
well, at least try it. If you don't like, you don't have to eat it. And that was it. Nobody ever made comments about body sizes or shapes. They didn't really comment about their own. I think they died it every once in a while, but it wasn't something I saw. So my relationship with food is very different than the person who got stuck on their first diet at nine years old and their mom was taking them to Weight Watchers at 10 and they're getting on the scale and weighing. Or, you know, I was listening to some guy talking just yesterday on another podcast about how his sister told him that he was an effing fat you know, this and that, and that he needed to lose the weight and he couldn't believe what a loser he was and all of this stuff when he's like a 10 year old kid who's a little chubby. So it's very different when 